face. <laughs> Tony. No, it was me. Oh, it was him. Good morning. My name is Jody Holtz. The scripture reading today comes from the New Testament book of Romans. I'll be reading from chapter 8, verse 14 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For the Spirit joins with our, for his Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet we, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we, he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was, subject, was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even when we have the Holy Spirit within us, as we foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patient, patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Jody. Here, I'll just put this over here. <clears throat> I've had a bit of a frog in my throat this morning, so... Two weeks ago, U.S. Special Forces raided an ISIS compound in northern Syria near the Turkish border. ISIS fighters in the compound opened fire, and the United States responded with an airstrike. The top target in the compound was Islamic State leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. A U.S. military dog named Conan chased al-Baghdadi into a dead-end tunnel. There, the ISIS leader activated a vest of explosives, killing himself. Forensic evidence tests confirmed that the deceased was indeed the terrorist leader. After, and after everyone was clean, the United States bombed the compound, eliminating the possibility that it would ever become a monument to ISIS. U.S. forces led 11 children within the compound to safety, and no U.S. troops 
troops were harmed in the raid. When I heard of al-Baghdadi's death, I thought to myself, well, this is really wonderful for the world because the world has been rid of a great evil and a force for hell, a force, a demonic force. Uh, by, with al-Baghdadi's death um, comes increased peace to the world. And so I was celebrating his, his death. And then it, um, it kind of occurred to me that it's sad that we live in a world where the possibility exists and happens frequently where we dance upon the grave of somebody, where someone is such a force for evil and where someone brings so much pain and suffering and evil into the world that when they're removed from the world, we actually celebrate that. It's sad that we live in a world where this possibility exists and happens regularly. And I began to think of our world because as I looked at the death of al-Baghdadi, it almost seemed like this rotten onion where you peel back layer after layer, and every single layer you peel back is rotten, each layer more rotten than the last. Al-Baghdadi is dead, and and we're celebrating his death because that means a removal of great evil in the world. How horrible, how rotten that we have to celebrate the death of someone who brought so much evil. And then you peel back the onion further, and you realize, you read this news story and the details of the story, and, and you, you learn that when he ran into that tunnel away from U.S. troops, and when he activated that explosive vests, he ran into that tunnel with two of his own kids. And so he took with him two of his own children when he killed himself. That's how sick and disgusting this man was. Now, praise the Lord that 11 children in that Syrian compound were brought to safety, and no U.S. troops were killed. Praise the Lord for that. But you keep peeling back this layer. I mean, I remember another layer is when I heard about ISIS initially in 2013. And I remember being very shaken up. It was one of the first news stories that I ever was really truly shaken up by because I'm reading about how ISIS is pillaging villages, they're running through villages, they're killing Christians, and they're sawing the heads off of children. Didn't matter how old you were, they'll cut your head off. And then I was really saddened. Um, I was also shaken when um, they would use videos and social media to propagate their fear and um, their terror. And I remember reading the news story in 2015 that 21 Christian men were kidnapped from a town, marched next to the Siena Beach, forced to their knees, and had their heads sawed off. 21 Christian men became martyrs at the hands of ISIS. And Christians were, though they were a favorite target of ISIS, anyone who didn't line up with their evil, insidious, and gross, disgusting ideology became a target. Because they also threw gay men off of buildings. And when these men would tumble to their death, people would gather around the bodies and, and throw rocks on top of the bodies. And when, and so you're just peeling back these rotten layers of the onion. And even the rottenness and the brokenness and the off-kilter nature of our world even extends to the way that the media covered this. Because the Washington Post's initial headline was this, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, Islamic State's terrorist-in-chief, dies at 48. Right. You got it right. Terrorist-in-chief. The world has been rid of a great evil. But then later... For reasons unknown, it was changed to this most despicable of headlines. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. 
it makes you want to puke that now the American media is running interference for terrorists. Now the American media has become apologists for terrorists and we're painting Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi not as a terrorist in chief that he is, but as an austere religious scholar? Since when? Well, something funny, that's maybe a bit of a comedic relief in the midst of a really heavy opening to the sermon this morning, is this headline spurned a whole slew of memes. For instance, people started making Washington Post headlines. For instance, Jeffrey Dahmer, connoisseur of exotic and locally sourced meats, dies at 34. Here's another obituary. Joseph Stalin, advocate of a strong working class and population control, dies at 74. Another obituary, Bain, city planner who overcame physical pain to level the playing field, dies at 37. The Joker, connoisseur of magic tricks, jokes, and making others smile, dies at 35. Ted Bundy, meticulous researcher, charismatic figure, and Polaroid enthusiast, dies at 42. And last but not least, my absolute favorite, the Chicago Bears 2019 season, once thought to be a promising season, dies after seven weeks. So that one we truly can laugh at. But you look at some of the names that come up with that, and we're laughing, but it's kind of a qualified laugh because we're remembering the evil that the real people, anyway, in these headlines perpetrated. That this headline includes dictators and serial killers that are responsible for an unprecedented number of deaths and and a disgusting, alarming amount of evil. And so you take this onion of our world, and as you begin to peel back the layers, it's rotten. It's rotten, it's rotten, it's rotten. It's off-kilter. It's sinful, it's full of wickedness, it's full of death and decay. It's wrong. And Romans 8, verses 14 to 27, which is our text today, knows the off-kilter, wrong nature of our world, knows the rottenness of this onion that we're living in. And there is a past dimension to the text, there is a future dimension to this text, and there is a present dimension to this text. I went in the wrong order. There is a past dimension to this text, there is a present dimension to this text, and there is a future dimension to this text. And so first we look at the acknowledgement of the brokenness of our world. This is the past dimension. Look at Romans 8 verses 20. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. We know this story. We know that God created the universe, and we know he created the world, and we know he put Adam and Eve, his first two humans that he created, into that world in the Garden of Eden, and it was perfect. And humans lived in perfect relationship with God, and God even speaks over the creation that it is good, and it is perfect according to his design. And as part of this perfect relationship with God, humans are given the special job of being images, rain spreaders, sub-rulers underneath God. He basically creates the creation as a ruler, and he gives it over to humans and says, now you care for this and spread my reign over it. But humans didn't want that job. They wanted to be the ruler himself, and so they tried to gain the power and status of the ruler himself, God. And in doing so, they brought sin into the world, they condemned humanity to death, brought corruption into the world, and severed their relationship with God. And where humans were powerless to do nothing, God does everything, and he stretches out in relationship to broken and separated humanity and says, I'm not going to be deterred from my mission to gather a people for my name who will be my rain spreaders. And he stretches out to a man by the name of Abraham and says, I'm going to multiply you and all of your kids and all of your grandkids into a nation that's going to pick up the baton of this rain spreading job. 
and God multiplies Abraham into the nation Israel, and God uses Moses to deliver Israel out of slavery through the waters of the Red Sea, and now Israel sets a course for this land, this inheritance that was promised to Israel, this promised land of Canaan where they would set up shop and be the home for them to live in and do their job as God's rain spreaders. And so as they approach the cusp of the promised land, sends in spies, and the spies come back with a bad report. And they say, there's absolutely no way we can go into this land. The people are too big, the armies are too strong, the cities are too fortified. We'd be nuts to try to go in there. And God, as a punishment for their lack of faith, sentences Israel to 40 years of wandering through the desert. Now, as they wander through the desert, they are led by God's Holy Spirit. Look at Exodus 13, 21. Then the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel both by day or by night. And so Israel, the children of Israel, are wandering through the desert, guided by the Holy Spirit, who manifests himself as a cloud during the day and as a pillar of fire at night. So they can see the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night. And in the same way... We, as the children of God today, as God's church, as Jesus' followers, are also led by the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So in the Old Testament, you have Israel being led through the wilderness by God's Holy Spirit in the form of a cloud and a fire. And today, the Holy Spirit lives within believers and leads us as the children of God through the desert of this broken and sinful and fallen world. Look at Exodus 15:24. This becomes a theme of the wilderness wandering. Look what happened to Israel. So the theme of Israel wandering through the desert becomes the theme of complaining and groaning and grumbling. Look at verse or 15:24. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are you going to, what are we going to drink? They demanded. And now you turn the page to chapter 16. There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. And so you have the people of Israel wandering through the desert constantly complaining and groaning because they're wondering, where are we going to get water? Where are we going to get food? Where are we going to set up camp? Where are we on our way to? Moses had to deal with more complaining than anyone in the history of the world. They groaned as they wandered through that desert. And that brings us to this present dimension of this text. Look at Romans 8, verses 22 to 23. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. As Israel wandered through the desert being led by the Holy Spirit, They groaned all the way. And we Christians today groan as we wander through the desert of this broken and sinful world being led by the Holy Spirit. Earlier this week, or last week on Wednesday, Jim Plumman tells me, he's like, hey, Bill, I got tickets to John Christ. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I had heard he was coming to Wisconsin doing a tour, and we had been in talks like, should we make this a church event? And I I love John Christ. I mean, I've used his videos and sermons before. And later that very day, I read a news story on Charisma News that John Chris had been accused of all sorts of inappropriate relationships and pressuring women into inappropriate relationships. Drinking too much, getting women to drink too much, trying to get them into compromising situations to get them to do things that he wanted. And I groaned. 
I literally went, oh, again. I groaned because another Christian leader in the public eyes has fallen. I groaned for John Christ himself because of what he's enslaved to. And especially, I groaned for those women who were victims of his pressure and who fell into inappropriate relationships with him. He would hold concert tickets over their heads, or, or not concert, but event tickets over, over their heads to try to pressure them into doing certain things. So I just groaned because I oh, not again. This is a blow, a blow to the Christian community, a blow to John Christ himself, and especially a blow to those women. We groan under the weight and sinfulness and fallenness of our world that is not right. Now, the good news is, is as we wander through this wilderness of this broken world, being led by the Holy Spirit, groaning all the way under this yoke of sinfulness, fallenness, brokenness, the good news is that our groaning actually serves a purpose. Here's what Paul likens our groaning to. He says, For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. So Paul likens our groaning to labor. When Morgan was pregnant with Bryn, who is our first child, we went to this birthing class at the hospital, and they're showing us this video. And I remember there's all these women, all these expectant mothers in the video, and they're all like contorted into all these positions, some of them on medicine balls, and they're just groaning. You know, they're, uh, uh, and the husband's like rubbing their back, and then they're in another position. Uh, uh. I mean, no lie. And then the narrator on the video is like, expectant mothers are encouraged to groan as a healthy way of dissipating stress. You know, and I'm like, and I'm, and I'm hearing, and I'm looking at Morgan and she's looking at me and I'm like, what did I get her into? And that's just the start of it. You ever seen these videos where men try out labor, like labor simulations? Go ahead and roll that, you guys, roll that. It's going down to the legs. Oh my, <laughs> feels like I'm getting stabbed by a million little needles. Oh, it's coming to the front. Oh, it's moving up there. Well, that's not fun. Ah, okay. Oh, that's why they make those noises. Oh, my. So it's going to go on for a whole minute. Oh. <laughs> this can't be what a contraction feels like. It's just stabby. It's just like, oh. You ever seen those weird meat tenderizers? The roll with, like, the spikes on it? It's like yeah. someone's just rolling that on my back. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh. Fly off the table. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's making my butt cramp. <laughs> butt cramps? Oh. Which side? Okay. Stop okay. it. Okay. Leave it alone. Need, Leave it alone. Like a little... I don't know. Hold my hand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you said it hurts once. <laughs> <laughs> it counts. Ah! I knew it was going to be there. Oh. oh hang in there. Woo. Oh. Oh, snap. When she hits the number, I feel it. Yeah, right. Right. I totally confirms that men would never laugh. We could never do this. So you women are unbelievable. And totally confirmed. But the groaning is for a reason. Right? The groaning is for a reason. Everybody in that delivery room is waiting 
for the arrival of the child, that all this groaning and all this stress is toward something and something wonderful, and that is the arrival of the new baby. Look at this. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when the kids will be here, when God will reveal who his children really are who all of his believers across the ages truly are. When the adoption of us as children, this is last week in part one of this sermon, when the adoption of us as children will be made complete and when the child finally arrives, that is what we are groaning toward. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our inheritance as full adopted children. The groaning is in the delivery room. Paul places us in the delivery room where there is lots of groaning and there is lots of stress and there is lots of pain and there is lots of heartache and there is lots of, lots of screaming, but it's all in a direction and that is for the arrival of the child when our adoption is made complete, when the kids of God are finally revealed. Morgan and I both, for both Bryn and Colin, we chose not to find out the sex of the baby until they were born. We wanted the surprise. And I am a big advocate for the surprise. And so, in that delivery room, there's lots of pain. And there's lots of stress. And it's a scary place to be. But everyone is on tiptoe waiting. Because we know that all of this stress and all this pain is producing something incredible. Because the kid is coming. And when the doctors brought that child around the curtain and showed them to us the very first time with both kids, with both Bryn and Colin, because I did not know if we were having a boy or a girl, my eyes went to a particular place on each one of these babies. Before I even looked at their face, I went to a different spot because I wanted to know, have we had a boy or have we had a girl? Who's this kid that we've been waiting for all this time? Who's this kid that Morgan has done so much pain and groaning for and they're finally arriving? That's where Paul places us. And that gets us to the future dimension of this text. In the birthing suite, everyone is waiting expectantly for the baby to be arrived. Everyone is waiting expectantly for their inheritance. And in the same way, we as the children of God who are in the midst of being adopted by God, that adoption will one day be made complete when we meet our Savior Lord Jesus face to face and when we're in the presence of the Father and when we are given our inheritance of new creation. Look at Romans 18 through 23. So we want to read this now with this lens of us being in the birthing suite, all anticipating the arrival of the children, anticipating that inheritance of the promised land of new creation someday. Right now, we as believers wander through the brokenness and fallenness of this sinful desert world, groaning all the way, waiting for our entrance into the promised land someday when we will receive our inheritance as children in new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth. Read this text with this lens. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting right now eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his kids truly are, when the kids will have arrived. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse because of the fall and because we sinned. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay in that promised land of new creation. For we know that all creation has been groaning under the pain of this world, in the sinfulness and brokenness of this world, as in the pains of childbirth, right up until today. It continues today. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit guiding us through this wilderness wandering within us as a foretaste and a down payment of that inheritance that we will receive someday of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from the sin and suffering that we experience right now. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will...
give us our full rights, our inheritance as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us in the new creation of the promised land. That is what we are waiting for. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel wandered through that desert, led by the Holy Spirit, complaining and groaning all the way. And so too today, the children of God, his church, wanders through the desert of this broken and sinful world, groaning all the way, being led by the Holy Spirit, as we anticipate the day when our groaning will have achieved what we're waiting for, which is new creation and the inheritance that God will give us, his his children, someday. We fell out of our status as sub-rulers under God, and we groan for the day when that status as sub-rulers will be restored. Here's what N.T. Wright says. The point of glory is that it means glorious sovereign rule, sharing the Messiah's saving rule over the whole world. And that is what the whole creation is waiting for. It is waiting for us, for you and me, for all of God's children to be revealed. Then at last, creation will see its true rulers and will know that the time has come for it to be rescued from corruption. Last week, Romans 8 verses 17 was our thesis verse. And we said, we go from slaves to children, from children to heirs, and from heirs to heirs. Look at this. It says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, so that's the co-heir part, we are heirs of God's glory. We will be restored to our status as sub-rulers with Christ as our brother and God as our father. And then Paul throws in this transition verse, which we did not touch on last week. But he says, but if we are co-heirs with Christ, if we are to share his glory, then we must also share in his suffering. And here is where things get really practical for us. Because Jesus comes into our world as one of us. He comes into a world as a human, and he experiences the brokenness, the fallenness, the wrongness of this world. And he experiences the brunt of it when he goes to the cross and he suffers and he dies. And he suffers and dies on the cross in our world alongside of us. He comes into our reality to suffer alongside of us. When he was on that cross, his cross was hoisted between two other crosses. Two other criminals flanked him and died alongside of him. And one of those criminals, while he's hanging on the cross, he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I like to think of us as that thief. That as we're suffering and groaning under the weight of this world that is not right, if we turn to our side, we see Jesus suffering right alongside of us. And we say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, it's so. You'll join me someday. We have a God who enters our suffering with us as one of us. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit enters into our groaning. And groans along with us. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. We have a God in Jesus who comes into our world and suffers alongside of us as one of us. And we have a Holy Spirit who comes into us as believers and joins us in our groaning and groans along with us. He groans in words that are a spiritual language that cannot be understood by humans. And the Father who searches all hearts searches for that groaning spiritual language. And when he hears it, he locks onto it and hears exactly what ought to be prayed for that person, for that believer. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. 
How many of you have ever run out of words when you pray? How many times have you asked for healing, for something, for God to do something? And the truth is, is there's only so many ways you can phrase that. And there's only so many words that you can say. I mean, as, as a pastor, I get asked to pray all the time over people, which is a great joy of mine. But I have a limited vocabulary because I'm a finite human being. And the truth is, is there is only so many ways that I can phrase certain prayers. And when I run out of words, which is pretty quick, praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit picks up where I run out. Because he never runs out of words. And he prays in groanings that cannot be understood by humans, but can be understood by God. Where I run out of words, he picks up. And so there are sometimes when I just have to stop talking and just literally say, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to start praying on my behalf right now because I've run out of words. Or how many of you have are, uh, ever confront the weight of all of the prayer requests that there are out there? That you say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, and oh yeah, I'll pray for you, and I'll pray for you, and you even keep a prayer. Some of you even keep a prayer list, which is awesome. But you know that that prayer list still leaves some people out or leaves some things out. Because we're finite human beings, and we only have so much time. Or how many times have you said to a friend, oh, I'll make sure I pray for you, and then all of a sudden the friend texts you the update on their situation. They're like, oh yeah, this happened. You go, I said I would pray for them, and then I never did. This is why the Holy Spirit prays for us in words that we don't understand. That the Holy Spirit enters into the fallenness, the overwhelming burden of this world and all that is wrong with it and everything we should be praying but aren't, knowing perfectly what needs to be prayed for, where we aren't praying. He enters into that groaning and that suffering with us and prays in words that we can't understand but that the Father can hear and locks onto and knows exactly what's being prayed for for this person. How many people have we prayed for in our church here at Grace 242? We've we've been praying for several people with backs now for a few months. And I mean, praise the Lord, we're seeing some improvement, and so it's like, yes, our prayers are being answered, but they're not out of the woods yet. So we continue to pray, Lord, heal us back. We continue to pray. Some of you have been on the prayer list since I started here at Grace 242 a year ago. And you were on that list when I started, which means that you were on that list before I even got here. And so as a church, you've been praying for these people for longer than a year. I've been praying for a year. You've been praying longer than that. And these people remain on the list. And we pray for healing, and we pray for healing, and we pray for healing, and sometimes it looks like nothing is happening. Why is nothing happening? Why, though I pray for this, though I phrase it differently, though I ask differently, though I really truly enter into the experience, though I try to conceive of it in my head as I pray differently, why does the status quo remain? And I have found that more often, God chooses a particular way of doing these things. If God wanted to release that person in this miraculous, abrupt, incredible, overwhelming way from their sin and suffering, he is more than capable to do that. He has the power and the prerogative to completely release somebody from their pain and their suffering. But I've found that that's the exception in God's case. That more often, rather than miraculously releasing this person, he chooses to enter in to our suffering along with us and groan along with us.